So um, several years ago, there was a, a really big study um, by a Harvard professor. You can turn those lights on. Um, a Harvard professor uh, about the relationships of people in Alameda County, California. So they were, this, this professor was a, a social scientist was studying the interrelationships and the connections among these people. There were 6,000 people that they studied, and they studied them over the course of nine years. And what this study found is that the people who had deep interrelated you know, connections, people who were involved in community, uh, were three, li- three times less likely to die than people who were, in ice- who were in isolation, people who were not in um, community, not part of a meaningful group. And what was even more surprising is that the people who had what you would consider your traditional uh, sort of health risks um, you know, bad eating and uh, alcohol abuse and smoking and that kind of thing, they actually outlived the people who were healthy, who ate healthy and didn't smoke and all this kind of stuff, but, but who were isolated. So the people with the bad health habits who had good connections and good relationships outlived the people who had good health habits but no connections, right? So what this study proves is that it's actually better to eat chicken and waffles with friends than to eat carrots and broccoli by yourself. That's a scientific fact, and it's proven. Um, I, I thought I'd get an amen on that one. But, um, and this researcher, uh, Robert Putnam, Harvard researcher, uh, he notes, he says this, if you're, par- if you're not part of a community and you join a community, so you're not part of a, a group or you know, connection, an emotionally connected group, and then you become part of one, um, Uh, He says, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. That's pretty amazing uh, data. And and that's why our, like I said a couple weeks ago, our life group motto is join a life group or die. So, um, and then, it's not actually that. There was another study that was sort of along this line, and it was in the um, uh, the American Medical Association Journal, and they had several hundred volunteers, and they, they gave them the, the virus that gives you the common cold. And then they measured the effects of this virus on different people. And they measured um, the difference between people who were in community, people who had meaningful relationships, emotionally connected relationships, versus those who did not. Um, and what they found in this study is that people did four times better at fighting off the cold if they were in emotionally connected community. Um, they actually found that they were less susceptible to colds, they had less of the virus in their system, and they produced significantly less mucus, this is true, uh, than relationally isolated subjects. Less mucus. Um, which means that people that are not in community are snottier than the people that are in community. Another good reason. Um, and then John Ortberg, who's a pastor at Menlo Park, he says this. He says, studies like this simply confirm at a biological level what the writers of Scripture taught us a long time ago, and that's this. You were made for community. Each and every one of us in this room, we were made, we were built, we were designed for community. You were made to know and be known. You were made to serve and be served. You were made to forgive and be forgiven. You were made to love and be loved. Each and every single one of us, we were made for community. And when we don't have that in our lives, there is a deep longing, a deep yearning in us to have community. Um, The book of Genesis, 
is, is a brilliant... I, I love reading the first chapter of, of Genesis, first few chapters of Genesis. There's this, as God is, as, as the scripture is describing um, the creation narrative, there's this rhythm to it. Uh, and it'll say something like, you know, God created the vegetation and it was good. And then God created the dry land and it was good. And then God created the, the beasts that swarm on the land and that was good. And then God created the beasts in the water and that was good. And the fowls in the air and that was good. And he created mankind and that was good. And, he, and it goes through this whole thing. And, it, and finally it says, and God looked at everything he had made and he said, this is very good. So you get this picture at the beginning of everything being good in creation. But you want to know what the very first thing is that God says is not good? And it's not war, and it's not sin, and it's not idolatry. The very first thing he says, Genesis 2.18, he says, It is not good for a man to be alone. He's saying that you and I, at the beginning of time, were designed for community. We're built to be a part of of a community of people, a group of people that are interconnected with others. We are built for community, top-down, built for community. Now, I know what some people will say, and some people will be like, look, I, you know, I may have, may, maybe I've gotten hurt at a church before, or I've gotten hurt by family, or I've gotten hurt by friends, and I'm a little gun-shy. Like, I don't really want to get involved in community because if I do, then something may happen. It may go wrong. So I'm just going to sort of pull back, and I'm going to alienate myself a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit isolated from other people, and I'm going to protect myself this way, right? Because I don't want to have to conform. I don't want to have to, if I come and be a part of a church, if I join a life group or get, you know, on the dream team or do that kind of thing, then I'm going to have to conform. I'm going to have to have this sort of sameness. I'm going to have to, you know, hide a part of who I am. I'm going to have to, you know, try to fit into a mold that I don't fit in. And I want to push back on that idea a little bit today because being a Christian, being a part of a Christian community is not about sameness. It's not about conformity. It's not about fitting in. It's not about, you know, not being who you are. In fact, the Christian community celebrates our diversity. The Christian community from the beginning of its foundation celebrated uh, our diversity. I, we were on, my family and I were on vacation this last week, and we were in a car driving to Tampa, Florida. And that's about a 15-hour drive, 18 if you've got, you know, a 6-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 1-year-old in the back. Um, and so we're driving down towards Tampa, and, you know, little kids in a car over long periods of time, they start to get, you know, bored. And they start to, like, start their minds begin to wonder, and they start to ask difficult questions. Uh, they get curious, and so they'll be in the back seat, and they'll be like, hey, Dad, why are there some solid-colored cows and some spotted cows? You know, and I'm driving, and I'm like, that's a great question, you know. Um, Jameson asked me this. He says, Dad, how many kinds of cars are there in the world? How many kinds of cars? You know, and then Lincoln's big one that I liked uh, as we were getting closer to Florida. He's like, Dad, who do swordfish fight? And I'm like, man... A great, actually a great question. For him, everything is about fighting at this point. Right? He's like, Dad, who can squirrels beat up? I'm like, I don't know. Chipmunks, maybe. I don't know. Um, so he wants to know, you know, so, so, you know, a generation ago, when we were, when I was a kid, um, what our parents, my parents did, probably what your parents did, they just made stuff up. They just made up answers. You know what I mean? They'd be like, 
There are 30,000 different kinds of cars in the world, son. And you're like, oh, okay, that's dad. He must know, right? So they just made stuff up. So we're a very misinformed, malinformed society. But um, there is a remedy to that. Now, when my sons ask me, you know, uh, how many different kinds of cars or who to swordfish fight, I actually did this. Reached in my pocket, pulled out my phone, pushed a few buttons. Boom. I've got the information that I need thanks to a little website that you may know called Wikipedia. Has anybody ever been on Wikipedia before? You guys love Wikipedia, right? I know you've been on there. It's the sixth most visited site in the world according to, well, according to Wikipedia. So, um, uh, and and I listened to an interview from the founder of, of Wikipedia, um, a guy named Jimmy Wales. He founded it back in 2001. And when they founded it, their goal was to get a free encyclopedia into the hands of every human being on the planet. That was his goal. A free encyclopedia into the hands of every single human being on the planet. So you hear that back in 2001 and you go, that's crazy, man. That is a pipe dream. Like, how is that going to happen? Who's going to create the content? Who's going to edit it? Who's going to distribute it? Who's going to market it? Who's going to, how's it, you know, how's that going to work? Like, where's that information going to come from? And what is genius about Wikipedia is that they've actually gotten close um, to, 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 to meeting their goal. At least they're significantly further along uh, than they were. They're getting 19 billion page views per month. 19 billion people are hitting Wikipedia every month. And it's being updated and edited and circulated by an army of volunteers, 80,000 different volunteers from all over the world. In fact, in their corporate office, they've got a map. And this is a, a, a live update map right here. And every time somebody updates Wikipedia, this little map starts to glow, right? So, so somebody in, let's say, uh, Rhode Island updated, um, you know, who are the most, who are the strongest power rangers, maybe, or something, you know, like things that I actually need to know. Some of you don't. But, but every, every time somebody edits it, it a little, a little, a little uh, color pops up. And the only way this, this can happen, this is, this is where it ties in, so hang with me. The only way this can happen is by the diversity of expertise, the diversity of knowledge, the diversity of experience, the diversity of interest, the diversity of culture of the people who are populating the, the, the content of this site. The people who are creating the content of this site, if it wasn't for their wildly divergent background, if Jimmy Wales, the founder, was sitting there trying to create the content of this site, you know, there would be, you know, 10 users on Wikipedia. 19 billion users because of the diversity of backgrounds that are populating the site. It's in fact because of the diversity that the thing actually works. And what's fascinating is that the scripture teaches us that the body of Christ, the community of Christ, works in the exact same way. It's the diversity of our background, strengths, gifts, talents, and passions that makes the body of Christ work Correctly, Look at this passage from uh, Romans. It says, For just as each one of us has, for just as each of us has one body with many members. And what that means is we have fingers, we have wrists, we have elbows, we have shoulders, we have ears, nose, eyes, uh, all different kinds of parts of our body. Um, and these do, and these members do not all have the same function. He said, So in Christ, we though many form one body. 
The diversity of who we are as people. Being a Christian is not about sameness. Being a Christian is not about conformity. Being a Christian is not about fitting in. In fact, the, the, one of the central thrusts of the gospel, and I think this is so vital for our world to, to grasp, one of the central th- thrusts of the gospel is that Jesus was trying to reach out from people to people from wildly different backgrounds. Because they, they all had something to contribute to this community that was becoming the body of Christ. Jesus' community. That's why he went out of his way to leave uh, Jerusalem, go to Samaria, sit down with a, a woman at the well who was from a different ethnic background, different cultural background from him, sat down, spent an inordinately long period of time talking to her, right? She was from a different religious background from him. From him. And he went out to reach out to her, right? because he's trying to demonstrate a point to his disciples is that this is not just for us. This is not just for this little cluster of people that all think the same, look the same, act the same. This is for everybody. Okay. That's why he told the story of the good Samaritan. He could have made it the the good, you know, uh, observant Jew. He made it somebody that was outside of the ethnic and cultural background of his listeners. Right. That's why Philip went down and, and brought the gospel to uh, a member of the Ethiopian, uh, high ranking member of the Ethiopian gov- government. That's why Peter went to the Romans. OK, that's why Mark went to Africa. That's why Thomas went to India, because Jesus is trying to make a point. The Bible is trying to make a point that this thing is for everybody. And when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus is not going to God's not trying to make you conform to something that's not you. He wants to take the unique and particular gifts, strengths, talents that you have and use them for the purpose of bringing hope and peace and restoration and mercy and grace to the whole world. And he can, do, he can only do that, like in Wikipedia, by virtue of so many people from so many backgrounds coming together for one purpose. He celebrates our diversity. Now you may say, okay, well that's... That's great. But if you've got all this diversity and all of these people from all these different backgrounds, right, how does, that not, how does that not just descend into anarchy? How does that not just descend into chaos, right? Just as important as our diversity is the, the Christian community mandates our unity. It mandates our unity. You can follow along with us in your notes if you want. They're fill in the blank. But... Um, the Christian community mandates our unity. Uh, there was a, um, uh, a journalist and uh, an author, a guy named Sebastian Younger, and he wrote uh, the book A Perfect Storm. I don't know if any of you have ever seen that movie, but there's a book called The Perfect Storm. Um, he also wrote a, um, an article, gave a talk called Why Veterans Miss War. And I listened to this a couple of years ago, and I just remember being like really moved by it. Um, and he talks about, in this, in this talk, he talked about a, a dinner party that he had at his house. And he invited a whole group of people to come over to his house. And one of the members, one of the guests uh, that was at his house had served in Afghanistan for several tours. And had experienced really just like the, the, the heaviest, darkest, you know, um, most terrifying aspects of war. Uh, and this guy came back and he had PTSD and he was severely emotionally you know, damaged, and uh, he was just kind of trying to make it back into society. And um, and younger had him come over at, at part of this dinner party, and somebody asked him at the dinner party. A woman turned to him and asked him and said, "Do you miss anything about the war in Afghanistan? About being over there?" And this guy's name was Brendan, and younger said that Brendan thought about it for a moment, and then Brendan said, "You know what? I miss almost everything about it." And 
younger thought, you know, what does he mean by that? I mean, he's not a psychopath. He doesn't miss, you know, being shot at. He doesn't miss, um, you know, killing people. He doesn't miss, you know, the atrocities that he experienced. So we talked to the guy a little bit. And what he discovered is that there was something that the guy experienced over there that was unlike anything he had ever experienced in civilian life. And that was this deep sense of unity with the members of his unit. He had a brotherhood with the members of his unit that was unlike anything he'd ever experienced in his life because they all came from different backgrounds. They all came from different education levels. They all came from different experiences and different cultures, but they were unified around this one mission. And that mission then trumped everything else. He might not have even liked one of the guys in his unit, but he knew that that guy, that he would put his life on the line for that guy because they had a bigger mission that they were trying to serve. And it was the unity that bound them together. He said that's what was missing. And Jesus in his gospel teaches us that wherever we come from, whatever our experiences are, whatever our identities are that we carry with us, they are all secondary to the one purpose, the one unified purpose of bringing honor and glory to God through Jesus Christ. In fact, Galatians says this. It says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's fascinating about this is that Jesus then becomes the model for what it means to be engaged in a Christian community. It means that we serve one another. It means that we love one another. It means that we look after one another. It means that we forgive one another. It means that we show mercy to one another. It means that we, you know, we, we put our lives on the line for one another. Because there's a purpose that trumps everything else about us. There's a unified purpose that trumps every single other aspect of our lives. And so he mandates this uh, unity. Now, the question then can become, and I think some of us have experienced this in, in churches. How many of you guys were here last week? Were you guys here last week? Our four speakers did so amazing last week. Can we just give them a round of applause? That was really amazing. Um, and two, two of, I think two of the guys mentioned, um, maybe more, that they had experienced at some point in their life, uh, uh, you know, being in a church community where they kind of learned the talk. You know, I think, Lee, you mentioned that, and maybe Craig, where you kind of could learn the talk. You could kind of learn the pattern. You got the Christianese thing. You come on, you plaster on your smile, and you just act like everything's cool. You know, and you may have a beef with somebody, but it just, everything's under the rug, right? And so there's a, there's a, there's a politeness, but there's a falseness, right, to, uh, to, to that kind of a community. The problem is there's no depth there. There's no genuine, authentic community when you just cover stuff over, right? Um, so this is how the, the, the Scripture teaches us uh, to do. This is the how, right, of how we do Christian community. Because Christ's community simultaneously reveals and restores, reveals and restores those who belong to it. Now you say, what does that even mean? What that means is this. The light of the gospel, either through the preaching or through reading of the word or through prayer or through a life group or through a relationship with somebody else, reveals the stuff that you've got in your life. Anybody got stuff in your life? Nobody? Come on. Come on, somebody. We got stuff, right? We got ish. I learned that term the other day. I love that. In fact, I'm going to do a sermon called We Got Ish. You Got Ish. Um, 
we, we, we've, all got, we've all got things in our life that are not what we want to be there uh, and that we know are not helpful and know are not useful and know are not healthy. But, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes to take the lid off of that and let that be revealed in the way that we interact and the way that we, you know, live out our lives. The Christian community both reveals that to us, right? When we become a follower of Jesus and the light of his gospel shines in our life, I don't know about you, but there will be times where I'm convicted. I'm like, in fact, I'll tell you this, not in my notes. Um, the, the other day, I was, I, was, uh, I was just waking up, and there's a parable called the ungrateful servant. Do you guys know that parable? I didn't, I didn't preach that one during the parables, but I, I studied it. Um, and it's all about the, Jesus tells a story about a, a, a very rich man who, um, and a guy has a huge debt to him, and he forgives that debt, thousands and thousands of dollars. And then that guy goes out and finds a guy who owes him like five bucks and says, give me my five bucks, and the guy doesn't have it. And so he takes this guy and throws him into prison, right? And the, the, the big boss comes and says, Hey, man, you know, I just forgave you tens of thousands of dollars, and you can't even let this guy go for five. You can't let him off the hook for five bucks. And then he takes that guy and throws him into prison. So, and I think they lets the first guy out. I don't remember. I have to study it a bit. But, but, but I, I, um, in my dream, that's how it happened. Um, no. So I woke up, and that parable was so bright in my mind. And I realized that in that moment, I was being convicted by the Holy Spirit for holding a grudge against somebody when I had been forgiven so much, I had been so much grace and so much mercy has been extended to me, so much love has been extended to me. So for me to harbor something against somebody else, I'm like that, that ungrateful servant. God's going to toss me into prison. I don't want to go there. So I, I, I got to let that go, right? But that's what the Christian community is about. It reveals the stuff in us, but then it doesn't just reveal it. It restores us to health, Right? A friend of mine years ago, 20 years ago, this guy was a young guy and uh, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Uh, he was having these weird uh, memory lapses. He would walk, he would walk into his house and his you know, family would be there and he would literally would walk in and say, I know I know you people, but I can't quite place you. And they were like, okay, we got to get you to the hospital. Um, young guy, and he went in and it turned out they diagnosed him, did the MRI or CAT scan, and they diagnosed him with a brain tumor. Um, now, if, if the doctors had said, okay, we've got the test results, and this kid's got a tumor, but it's really going to hurt his feelings if we tell him he's got a tumor. So you know what? Let's just not do that. Let's just not tell him, right? That would be terribly cruel, right? It would be terribly cruel. It would be equally as cruel if they said, hey, you've got a brain tumor. You shouldn't have that. Don't have that brain tumor. You're wrong to have that brain tumor. That's bad, right? No, but what they did is they revealed the tumor and then very carefully, very thoughtfully, very patiently, with medical precision, they went in there and they removed that brain tumor. He's a very healthy guy today, totally normal, totally, I don't know if he's totally normal, but he's totally functioning, totally good. Um, and, and it's because the, the medical community in that, in that situation did exactly what they were supposed to do, reveal and restore, Right? Look at what the scripture says in 1 Thessalonians. And this, is, this is a passage written to the Christian community. Uh, and it says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. What that's saying is, 
don't be the kind of person that just points out the flaws in somebody else. I don't know, have you ever met somebody who is absolutely brilliant at pointing out your flaws? Anybody ever met somebody like that? Um, no one is even, some of you are like, well, yeah, but she's next to me, so I'm not, or he's, yeah. Um, that's good, just, let's just, just glide on over that one. Um, but, but some people are really, really good at that. You know, they can see, like, here's what's wrong with you. And they'll just let you know right about it, you know. Other people are so eager to keep things peaceable and calm that they never, they never bring up what's, what's going on. They never bring up what's bothering them. The Christian community gives them the, the most brilliant ethic and morality around relationships in that it teaches us to reveal and to restore, to patiently help somebody up when they've fallen. Don't say you haven't fallen, right? But help to pick them up. So being a part of a Christian community means having the vulnerability to make yourself accessible to other people in real meaningful ways. And then when you are a Christian, if somebody needs help, reach out and patiently, calmly, gently restore them to health. That's why we believe so deeply in life groups here. Because that's where that kind of stuff happens. It happens in that environment where there's a relationship with somebody. Somebody you know. Somebody you trust. Somebody you're willing to spend time with. Somebody that you're rubbing shoulders with. In fact, I always think that the best part of a life group, a lot of times doesn't happen in the life group. It happens like in the parking lot on the way to your car when you're walking and it's all over. And then you turn to somebody and go, you know what? I actually... You have a minute. I want to just tell you about something, right? And now you're now you're in real community, right? Now, the question that you may be asking is: All right, this is all good, uh, theoretically. I I get it. I understand it. But why is it so important for me personally to do that, right? Why is it so important for me to get involved in Christian community? Well, first of all, so you won't be snotty. Okay, so that's number one. We already learned. No, but but. Here's the thing about the Christian life. The Christian life never, ever ends with what's in it for me. That's not the final question. The Christian life is always about the one who is not yet experiencing it. It's always about the one who is not experiencing the love of God and the forgiveness of God in their life and the mercy of God in their life. It's always about the one that's outside of the community. That's what it's all about. And so that's, that's why we do what we do. It's not just for us, right? It's for those who are outside, those who have not yet experienced God's love, those who have not yet experienced God's grace. It's why we do what we do. It, it, in fact, if we're not an outward-facing community, we're completely missing the point. We might be, like, in here, happy, things are good, my life's going well, everything's cool, you know, sermon was decent, music was awesome, you know. But if it's not about, like, reaching out to somebody else, then we've entirely missed the point. In fact, Jesus even says, this is how they'll know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. It's the way that we interact. It's our love one for another that reveals Christ's character to those who have not yet experienced him. That's how it works. We are the, our, our community is about the one who's not yet here. That's what it's about. I'm going to read you one last passage, and it's from the book of Acts, and it's a description 
of the early Christian community. And here's what it says. It says, those who received his word, they were baptized. So there were a whole group of people that initially received the word and were baptized. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They took care of each other. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So they're doing all of this stuff. They're praying together. They're praising God. They're worshiping together. They're doing all of this great stuff together. Why? Next verse. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The reason that we do Christian community the way that we do it is so that other people will look at us and go, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I don't know if I'm ready to take that next step. I don't know if I can jump that hurdle. Not sure about the resurrection thing. Still a little sketchy on the Bible stuff. Not sure how to, you know, take this verse or that verse. Not sure where it all fits with me. But there's something so powerful and so compelling about that group of people that are coming together from different walks of life, different cultures, different ethnic backgrounds, whether you've got a PhD or a GED, they're coming together, they're all serving, they all have something to contribute, everybody's working together, there's something beautiful about that, and I still have my qualms and my doubts, but I want to be a part of something like that. I want to be a part of something like that. I want my life to look something like that, because there's a, there's a, there's a part of me that longs for community. There's a part of me that's built for that. I was made for this. I want to go and be a part of that. In fact, I can guarantee you right now, if I asked you to pull out your connection card and write down the titles of the top five sermons you've heard me preach in the last three and a half years, you would struggle to get two of them down. You would struggle. You'd be like, well, there was one where he kind of told a story about something, I don't know, but you, you'd have trouble, right? You'd have trouble. But if I told you to write down the top five people who, who have influenced you in your spiritual life or in your walk with God or just in your life in general, you'd be like, five's not enough. Can I do 10, right? Because that's how this thing works. It works in community. It works in relationship. It works when you open up your heart and your life to other people and say, hey, I'm here for you, you know? And it might get awkward at times because you might think one thing and I might think another. You might have one background. I might have another. But we have one thing in common, and that's Jesus. We're following him. We're seeking him. We're pursuing him. And everything else sort of kind of falls into place after that. So I said, seek first the kingdom of God. Everything else sort of just falls into place, right? So here's your application. Here's what I want you to take with you today. Uh, Here's how we do this. Number one, if you have not gotten involved in a church, if you're not a member of a church, if you're kind of floating through and just checking it out and not, I want to challenge you today, go across the street and become a member of U City Family Church. And if you don't like this church, that's okay. Go to another church and become a member there, right? The, the family is, is bigger than this, the people in this theater, okay? Um, it's worldwide. Uh, and so, but find a place to plug in and get committed and get involved somewhere, okay? That's number one. Number two is if you are a member and you haven't, you know, you haven't gotten involved in anything, you're not serving in some capacity, I want to challenge you to do that. Sign up on and become a member of our dream team. These are the people. And let me just say, our setup team, where are you, Tom? 
Tom, are you here? There he is. Come up here for just a minute, Tom. Yeah. This guy right here, first of all, is, first of all, one of the coolest guys I've ever met. He flies F-15s. So I just want to hang out with him because of that. Um, he flies F-15s. Enough said. No. Um, but he's our, our setup team leader. And, man, he's like, talk about rallying a team around a purpose. Um, this guy has just got it figured out. I mean, he's like getting his team together. They're having, you're having like, what do you call them, rally meetings? Little rallies, yeah. Little rallies, man. And they're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Bang, 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 bang. Ten minutes later, everything is like, well, 15 minutes later. All right. Everything is perfect. I mean, it's just set up. And they're doing it for a purpose. They're doing it to serve you. They're doing it to serve Christ's community. That's what they're called to do. And they're awesome. You want to add anything to that, Tom? We're good. We're good. (laughs) You're awesome. Yeah, thank you, man. It's incredible. Um, you know, our children's ministry, the, 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 the kids that are out there. I had a mother tell me the other day that, um, that they, were, they were coming in and they were, on, they were actually on their way to somewhere else that got canceled. And so the mom turned to their, her son and said, okay, well, it's, it's like nine-ish on a Sunday morning. We can either go to the zoo or we can go to U City Family Church. And the kid was like, I want to go to U City Family Church. And I was like, Nice. Children's ministry, you guys rock. Um, but, but finding a place to serve, finding a place to get involved. And then number three is this. If you, are, uh, if you haven't led a life group, but if you've been in a life group, you're a member of our church and you want to lead a life group, I want to invite you to come. And this is not as complicated as it may seem. It really is a matter of doing what you're already doing it, but doing it with a group of people and bringing, bringing some, a little bit of scripture and some prayer into it. So if, you know, you're a person who goes and has breakfast once a, on Saturday mornings with a couple friends, turn it into a life group. They don't have to be members here. Just w- whatever it is. Or if you want a more formal Bible study and curriculum, we've got all that kind of stuff for you. But I just want to challenge each and every one of you, take that next step towards deepening your commitment and your involvement in Christ's community. It's what life is all about. It's who you are. It's what you were made for. It's what you're built for. So let's go for it. Let's go for it. And let's be a shining light on a hill so that everybody around this city starts to go, man, I don't totally get it, but they are awesome. And I want to go be a part of that. And, and, and other churches too. I just, the whole Christian community does this. This is what Christ designed us for. This is what he made us for. So let's do that. Amen. Let me pray for you, okay? Heavenly Father, we're just grateful to be a part of a community. We're, we're just grateful to be um, around other people who are seeking to follow you. We may not understand everything the same way. We may not, um, we may not believe everything the same way at this point. We're, we're, we're sort of on a journey. We're sort of walking like your disciples did with you, following you around and trying to understand and seeking to better our knowledge and seeking to serve you and seeking to honor you. Uh, and God, we just ask that you bring us together in unity around you. Uh, we ask that you inspire us um, to reach out to others, to, to open up our hearts, uh, to not be afraid, but to open up our hearts to risk um, not being alone, but to risk walking into a relationship with somebody else and, 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 and serving you and serving them 
and forgiving and being forgiven and loving and being loved and celebrating and being celebrated. Help us to walk into that with our life, Lord. Give us the courage. Give us the courage to do that. Father, we praise you. To you be the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.